0: Welcome to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. And Konokaro da! This is episode 96, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders High Priestess Part Two. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode on anything that's happened in the JoJo anime. We have reached the official halfway point of Stardust Crusaders.
1: Yeah, it took a while for us to get here. Right? I know. <laughs> we
0: kind of jumped between parts. You know, we were starting part three, jumped to part six for what, almost a year, it felt like? Yeah, At least half a um, year. Yeah, you
1: know, th- the second core and the third core that were back to back, which we didn't expect.
0: And then jumped back to Stardust Crusaders. And now here we are. So, yeah, we have reached the halfway point. Um, I know usually when we have a milestone like this in the past, we've taken a break um, or skipped a week or whatever. We're already on our biweekly schedule. We have been for a while, so nothing like that for the foreseeable future. But we are thinking about doing a discussion episode here on Strictly JoJo before we jump into the second half of Stardust Crusaders. So we haven't done that in quite a while.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of interesting discussion topics surrounding jojo in the past um and and we do have some ideas for this upcoming one hopefully it'll be a special one but yeah i guess that'll fill the gap between the end of this core i guess for part three and the beginning of the next core.
0: It's been a wild ride, though, for this first half, and we'll we'll share our thoughts on the first half of Stardust Crusaders at the end of this episode. I think it's nice to take a moment to reflect and see how far the Crusaders have come. But
1: before we get into all of that, we have a couple pieces of JoJo news for this week. Um, a lot of these are tweets, I think, yeah, all of these are tweets from JoJo's Bizarre Encyclopedia on the platform formerly known as twitter so the first tweet we have is one that says naked and famous denim is collaborating with jojo's bizarre adventure to release a collection of jeans based on jonathan joestar joseph joestar jotaro kujo josuke higashikata jono Giovanna, and jolene kujo couldn't
0: they just have said the anime jojos (laughs) yeah i was
1: gonna say yeah the parts one through six characters that have been featured in anime form and the tweet is accompanied by a picture of the jeans which you know they're they're just normal jeans but the special thing about them is that the I guess you would call it the the label on the back of the jeans features a picture of each Jojo protagonist um, as embedded or what would you call that yeah embedded in that leather patch uh, and then the buttons on the jeans. I think this is pretty clever. Resembles a a logo or symbol associated with that respective JoJo. So, um, was it Jonathan and Joseph have the star
0: birthmark? Yeah. Why do they both have the same one? Why don't they have like a unique one? Like, why doesn't Joseph have something different? Like, Actually, yeah, Clocker Volleys. <laughs> yeah,
1: because uh, they didn't even bring up the birthmark until part three but i guess there w- isn't really a symbol otherwise that you can associate with either jonathan or joseph
0: a red bubble <laughs> well that's
1: more of caesar a
0: cross-shaped <laughs> piece of the ceiling that's still, that still <laughs> applies to
1: caesar um and then you have jotaro who has that hand imprint? That's
0: wait the red the red stone of Asia. Why didn't they choose that? I know it's complicated, but you do like the outline. I mean, some of these are kind of complicated. Yeah, Look I, at Jolene's butterfly.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> just jumping ahead, you have Jolene's butterfly um, on her jean button. Um, Josuke has an anchor, and Jorno has the ladybug. What do they call it? Brooch. 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 That's on his um, clothing. Uh, yeah, I mean. What what could they have used for? What else they could have used for Joseph? Like I I don't think you can really represent Hamon in like a a, a symbol.
0: Yeah, but Hamon's not specific to Joseph, but the Red Star of Asia is specific to his story. But I know he doesn't mm-hmm. wear it. Yeah, I don't know.
1: They could put the. The Coca Cola can, yeah. <laughs> and then for Jonathan, uh, I don't know, Danny. No picture, Danny's face. Um, but yeah, hopefully, the denizens of Japan will get to enjoy these. Um, available starting end of September, because um, of course you know everyone or Japan gets all the fun stuff, and then the West gets decent stuff um next tweet we have from jojo's bizarre encyclopedia uh we have new art of kenshiro by hirohiko araki for the fist of the north star 40th anniversary original art exhibition and so i think a bunch of mangakas had submitted their like congratulatory artwork for the fist of the north star and araki joined in on the fun and it's Kenshiro um in a sort of Jojo pose and it looks like he has Jotaro's belt on, like his double belts on, and then Joseph oh no, not Joseph. Or maybe Joseph. Yeah, Joseph's hand gloves, like the fingerless hand gloves. And the last tweet we have is one that's also related to fashion or more specifically makeup. We have shoe. Uemura is collaborating with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean to sell JoJo themed makeup releasing the beginning of November. Are you familiar with this makeup brand?
0: Yeah, I like this makeup brand. I, I have products from Shu Uemura and I'm so bummed because I think this is only like like many things that are JoJo collabs. I think this is only going to be sold in Japan. But I would mm-hmm. love to have some of these, especially um, I think there's like a, a makeup bag, uh, makeup brushes. I want that shit. I want it.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could go through like third party shops or third party going to be like scalpers proxy. upping
0: the price. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the caveat with that is like the shipping costs, of course. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of special items that are being offered in this makeup collaboration uh, there is a jojo news article attached to this that has more pictures outside of what's featured in the tweet um yeah i think i see the bag here that you you mentioned a medium-sized bag that has jolene and jothro on the front oh this is like a paper bag like uh for customers who make up certain amount for a i thought there was like
0: an actual black makeup bag of some sort
1: yes um sorry my, my page is going crazy they will give a free original pouch and ultimate sublime beauty cleansing oil to customers who make a purchase of a certain amount um so this pouch has jolene's butterfly featured as an embroidered logo on it i think that's the one that you're talking about and yeah, eyeshadow palettes, lipstick, silk oh, silk cream. I don't I don't, I don't like know, I don't any... know what any of these
0: products are. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, perfect for any JoJo fan who's into makeup. Um, so yeah, for, any, for everyone who's interested in these tweets, we will share them on our Discord, which if you are not a member of our Discord, the link to join is in the description.
0: Now let's get into High Priestess part two uh i talked about high priestess part one and that i didn't really remember much about it but that i was pleasantly re-surprised with that episode and how good it is and how it gives a glimpse into the Joe Star family life the family dynamic it was just so fun to relive that episode i felt similarly about part two i feel like it's it's less like the personal aspects of the Joe stars, but still a really fun ride from start to finish and it's not like the most intense fight ever right a lot of it is just them running away or trying to figure out how to escape the giant mouth that they're in but what I like about it is just all the nonsense that's happening around that um, especially the very unique situation that Jotaro finds himself in because while he gets hit on a lot he's never really hit on someone in return.
1: Do you mean like physically or like hit on as in girls are hitting on him
0: yeah like girls hitting on him like Um, girls attracted to him and trying to win his affection or trying to get his attention or just you know swooning over how handsome he is he gets that all the time and tells him to shut the fuck up right but here mm -hmm. is a very unique situation where obviously for the sake of their escape and, and their survival he has to kind of break character and do something he states in the episode he doesn't want to do and that's give that that type of attention back to somebody else yeah i guess he was
1: hit on in both senses of the the word in this episode with like the 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 wooing part or aspect of it and then you see know, he didn't really get hit on but just crunched yeah <laughs> by, he got smashed his <laughs> teeth um yeah i guess me for this episode of course it's concluding the the high priestess battle that we've seen between the crusaders and this last enemy stand before the halfway point um but i i forgot that this is i wouldn't say this is a transitional episode But it feels like two episodes in one where it's concluding the High Priestess battle and then kind of prepping us for the next half. And so it's a lot of retrospective and reflection in the later part of this episode. So in a way, it kind of felt disjointed. But I think this episode still does pretty well in wrapping up High Priestess's shenanigans so that the crusaders can just enjoy the fact that after a month of traveling they finally made it to egypt to the promised neverland
0: you bring up a good point that is the formula for stardust crusaders where you have a, a battle with an enemy stand user that doesn't always last a full episode usually whether it's like a two-part battle or a one-part battle it tends to wrap up with at least a third of the episode left not always but very oftentimes it's like the first two-thirds of an episode are dedicated to fighting this enemy stand user and then when they're defeated the last third is transitioning us to the next place that they're traveling to which is kind of a unique way of approaching like the chron, like not the chronological order of things, but the way a story progresses. Because normally in that adventure of the week formula that that this uh, part typically has, the whole episode is dedicated, or it's like usually the front part is that transition into like where are they now or when where are they moving to, and then like a battle happens, and then it wraps up at the end, and there's like a nice resolution, and then the next episode you progress. To like the next location. Does that make sense? I'm thinking about like Pokemon, for example, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like the beginning of the episode is like, where's Ash and the gang now? What are they up to? They're traveling to the next city, whatever. And then the conflict happens, it gets resolved, and the resolution is the way the episode concludes. JoJo is doing it backwards. Yeah, and I think
1: they just wanted to make a clean introduction for the second half of the series so this was the only way that they could do it by kind of putting two different stories together in a sense um but i mean that's fine like i I feel like jojo has done this in other episodes previously and it it kind of like i said it kind of feels disjointed but i think it's a net positive in order to make things cleaner down the road Alright JoJo fans, make sure to put your scuba gear on as we dive and crusade into our synopsis and discussion for Part 3, Episode 24, High Priestess, Part 2. Joseph, who proposes that the boys play out a real-life Super Mario Brothers underwater level to make it to the Egyptian surface and away from High Priestess's mineral-morphing clutches, briefing them in a scuba diving 101 lesson that ends up being a Happy Hands Club performance by Polnareff and Kakyoin. As the group prepares their escape, however, Polnareff finds that his scuba gear regulator is nothing more than High Priestess's foul mouth and foul attempt to suck the soul out of him. Joseph and Kakuin thankfully act quickly in surgically removing her from his talking hole to resume their escape through the watering hole. As the group passes a seemingly innocent-looking seabed formation, it of course turns into High Priestess's hideous head that chomps them down like a seafood surprise. Polnareff suggests that the group act like horny men to win the stand user Midler over, but this forces her to chain-chomp Jotaro in a rage with her rock-hard teeth. Unfortunately for her, Star Platinum has a degree in diabolical dentistry, so I guess these diamonds aren't unbreakable. The boys finally reach the Egyptian coastline and are warmly welcomed by Midler's brutally blemished body as they reflect on the thirty days of mileage awards they've racked up on their journey. And after a cryptic blessing from Suzy Q via phone call, the crusaders carry on into the land of the pharaohs as they continue pursuing the undead bastard that harrows. Speaking of which, Dio senses a disturbance in the force and so recruits nine more dim-witted disciples to his cause, serving as adequate meat shields while he continues preparations to wreak havoc upon Zawardo. So beware, dear listeners, for our crusaders will soon be dead men walking on the Green Nile. And now on to our next segment of the show is that a music and or tarot reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. But alas, we end part one of Stardust Crusaders having no more new music or tarot references.
0: Well, now it's time for the Jojo meme rundown where we list each new Jojo meme that appeared in this episode. We are finishing off the first half finishing off. Finishing out the first half with a meme, and that is the Kakyoin and Polnareff handshake, which starts off with Polnareff saying, your underwear is showing, or signaling, your underwear is showing. I
1: and mean, is translating that by saying, like, your underwear is showing.
0: Yeah, Polnareff is signaling it, yeah. and Kakyoin is saying what he's signaling. So, yeah, it's a fucking bro moment. Joseph panics. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? We're about to die. And yeah, that bro moment has been used quite a lot. I think it's mostly like not the not the part where Polnareff is signaling, but when the two of them are actually doing the handshake and their eyes are sort of like shaded over with black <laughs> and they look so fucking intense. I love it. It's great.
1: I kind of want to memorize this handshake for use like at a random point, like with our confam. <laughs> um, it doesn't seem like too intricate, but also it's just very random like how Kakuyoin and Polnareff could come up with something like this on the fly basically. And
0: it's very out of character for Kakuyoin. He's not like as bro as the rest of them. So I like that it's it's him doing the handshake with Polnareff. Can you imagine if like you were cosplaying as Kakuyoin and you ran into a Polnareff cosplayer and you both just looked at each other and just started doing the handshake? Just like as true JoJo fans, you're just like you know, just go right into the handshake, (laughs) no words needed, and then you just walk away from each other.
1: (laughs) That would be awesome. Like even just to witness that in the crowd, Uh, those are like those are the moments you live for uh, when when seeing cosplay or or doing cosplay.
0: So first things first, we are still tracking whether they're using the the nickname JoJo in Stardust Crusaders um, still, and we. Haven't had it in a while, but we do have it here. The narrator, who is very present in this episode, um, says Jojo at one point. He does also say Jotaro, but I did catch one instance of Jojo in this episode. So still technically going strong. But then we also have a very unique version of the OP. The OP that has sound effects, which signals you know, no pun intended, that we are approaching the halfway point or the end, right? Like the end of that OP in particular because this OP has a shitload of sound effects and I actually forgot that it was going to happen and it took me by surprise.
1: Yeah, there are sound effects galore, which again is typical for the final outing of an of a JoJo OP. I noticed it was only for supernatural effects and like whooshes never for like when the crusaders are walking in the various environments at that one point during the op they don't you don't hear their footsteps or anything uh one thing i wanted to point out is that iggy's appearance is actually foreshadowed in this op i think it's the part where there are shooting stars that travel across the screen and towards a vanishing point. In, I believe it's the right corner, there's a tiny shooting star that also travels with them.
0: Aw, little Iggy.
1: And so the sound effect that's used here kind of foreshadows Iggy's later appearance in the second half of Stardust Crusaders because there's a howl that you can hear when that lone shooting star starts traveling.
0: Oh, that's nice. A little homage to the Crusader that joins later in the show.
1: Yeah, and um, there's a a video on YouTube that has the sound effects OP. Um, We can share a link to this in the Discord as well because I have the exact timestamp of where you can hear the howl for anyone who wants to give it a listen. It's, It's pretty cute. It's just a very, very small howl if you listen closely.
0: I was about to say Iggy's one of the only dogs in JoJo's, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure where Araki treats him well, but then I'm like, oh, wait, he dies. <laughs> yeah, barely <laughs> treats him well. Yeah. <laughs> There's still that one dog. I think the, the dog in part six is the only dog that doesn't die in JoJo or get like hurt.
1: So, that like survives a, a crash or something?
0: Yeah, because time is sped up, so the owner is walking that dog across the street, but the owner actually gets hit, not oh, the dog. Yeah. <laughs> maybe Rocky's like I'll give you guys a break <laughs> the episode starts off with Joseph explaining scuba to the crusaders and tells them the most important part is to not panic makes sense so you don't start breathing really rapidly and taking up all of your oxygen but then he says they can't talk underwater so they'll use hand signals until Avdal comes in and says let's just use our stands to talk and I was thinking that the whole time before Avdal came in I'm like wait literally Jotaro did the same thing in one of the first episodes, when he was fighting Captain Crunch, he was able to communicate via his stand to that guy.
1: Yeah, but I guess this, like, maybe Johto was the only one aware of it in the group, and so Abdu's, Well, Abdul,
0: yeah, and then Abdel knew. Yeah,
1: Abdol's just bringing it up to everyone now. Although he's saying, he's saying it as if they already knew.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a weird situation. Like, it's it's like half a a rocky forgot moment because maybe he first forgot and then remembered <laughs> so he's like oh i'll just have Abdul chime in and remind everybody
1: also what if none of them knew how to swim like i know joseph's explaining the scuba diving or like how to use the scuba gear but imagine if they didn't know how to swim
0: yeah that would be awful
1: <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how to swim if i were in their situation i'd be like this is my fate
0: Then we have, of course, the handshake between Kakioin and Polnareff, and Joseph being like, What the fuck are you doing? We're about to die. And it's very ironic that Joseph's the one that's saying, What the fuck are you doing? Take this seriously. We're going to die. Considering there are many times where they're about to die and he doesn't take it seriously. But as the crusaders are, I guess, swimming, scuba ing along the sea floor, of course, Polnareff is the first to be attacked. When they are finally caught by High Priestess,
1: well, they're still in the submarine when this happens. It's just it's filling up with water.
0: Oh, you're right. I apologize. Yeah, they're in. They're about to leave. They're about to leave the submarine, and Polnareff is the one that gets attacked by High Priestess, and it's it's really gnarly because High Priestess transforms into like the the nozzle that he uses to to inhale the, the oxygen regulator regulator. Yeah, and because High Priestess is right by his face, it ends up crawling down his fucking throat in a really yeah. awkward, like almost hentai esque oh, I- moment where we actually see the <laughs> the bulge in his neck as it's even... like forcing its way down. <laughs> okay, I
1: didn't even think of it that way. I just thought like, oh man, there's so much pressure in his throat, like I can't. It was it was I, gnarly. I, was say, I can't imagine having to go through that, but now I can't unsee the sexual part of it.
0: Sorry. <laughs> well, Kakion uses Hierophant Green, and Joseph uses Hermit Purple to pull the enemy stand out of his throat, and that's also gnarly because don't they like shove their tentacles in his nose? Yes. It's like poor Polnareff, man. It just sucks for him in that moment.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it feels like Araki just made Polnareff to be not the guinea pig, but like, I guess the lapdog dog in getting all of this brutality.
0: He's uh, the comic relief. So he, he gets shit all over. Um, and I mean that literally as well because of all the toilet incidences that he's yeah. had.
1: But then he's able to talk underwater after like High Priestess turned into some other object
0: yeah and i I, i'm just so confused because (laughs) he was like he (laughs)
1: he couldn't breathe like a couple minutes ago
0: and instead of talking with his own mouth why wouldn't he just talk with his stand to their stands i don't know it's very confusing um the consistency is lacking a little bit when it comes to how and and when stand users can communicate underwater when they finally leave the submarine and they're swimming along the sea floor, they don't realize that high priestess has turned into the giant face in the seabed because it, it traveled along the seafloor using the minerals and then turned into this giant thing. When they do realize that um, it's the giant face, in the seabed. Polnareff questions how it's so big when it was so small before when it was on the submarine, and Kakyoin chimes in and says that it's probably because the stand user is nearby. So this is another one of those stands where the closer it is in proximity to its stand user, the more powerful it becomes. It, I think that's different than remote stands, where it doesn't matter the distance. They're They're built to be used at a greater distance, but then the trade-off is like, in general, they're probably a little less powerful. So then Midler chimes in, um, speaking through High Priestess. Uh, this is after she's sucked everyone into her giant mouth and uh, says that Jotaro is her type and she's sad to have to kill him off. And this is when things get interesting because you have Paul Polnareff who, you know, he's He's uh, very much a womanizer. He likes he likes the ladies, and I think he's picking up on an opportunity to flip the script on Midler. So he whispers over to uh, Jotaro, and you can't really hear what he's saying, but you can hear Jotaro's reaction. And Jotaro's like, "Do I have to do that?" You can tell he very much does not want to fucking do this. I don't blame him, and it's super out of character for him. But essentially, he says to Midler, "I'd like to see your face. You might be my type." I might fall for you, and I'm just like it's. To, when I watch the scene, I both laugh and cringe at the same time. I'm cringing because I'm like, this is super awkward for Jotaro. This is not the Jotaro we know. But I'm laughing because it's so funny to see somebody as like you know put together and as like hard ass as him be forced to do something like this <laughs> for the sake of survival.
1: I think the ironic part is that we never see Midler's face. At all, I mean there's this rock formation where that's more of the Stan's face, but not her face.
0: Yeah, it is yeah, it is very interesting because we never really get confirmation like if she's like, yeah, what she looks like, if they would consider her attractive. We just know at the end that her teeth are all busted.
1: So this makes me wonder how Jotaro won over his wife. Uh, if, if she, she, she must
0: be like me and really love Asundere. Okay, she's probably attracted to his sundry energy. <laughs>
1: but like, if he he doesn't want to like be flirtatious with with women or whatever, like how how did he court her? <laughs> you know Maybe what I he mean?
0: didn't. Maybe she chased him. But he's he like, was okay, fine. <laughs> I know. I would love to learn more about Jotaro's life. I, that would, that would be just so interesting to me but yeah it's you know he he's a teenager here maybe he's just um you know a this little is when he's
1: supposed to have raging hormones
0: I guess he's just more raging in general versus raging hormones yeah, he's just angry <laughs> but the the Crusaders don't leave him alone in this moment they all chime in they all go along with it saying like oh Midler must be so attractive blah 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 and just kind of you know, fluffing up her ego and, and making her really shy, I guess, in this moment. Um, but then she catches on to their bullshit <laughs> and starts flinging them around with High Priestess's giant tongue. And we get a great holy shit moment from Joseph as they're being thrown in the air.
1: Yeah, some literal tongue action. Yeah. Episode. We always <laughs> say that Ara- Araki likes doing stuff with tongues. He does. So, so why not add that here in the last episode of the first half?
0: Then Midler, using High Priestess, flings Jotaro into the set of teeth. And I have questions about this because when we saw them get sucked into High Priestess's giant mouth, I only saw one set of teeth. But there are multiple times, I think, in this episode where the set of teeth are like separated for whatever reason, whether it's High Priestess opening its mouth or Jotaro busting the teeth out. And I'm wondering, how does the water not flood in again when that oh, right. that seal is broken, essentially? So I don't know if it has, like, two sets of teeth and we can only see one set at a time. But I don't know. I think that's, that's very much a, I don't know if it's, like, an Rocky forgot moment or what. But I'm thinking, where the fuck is the water rushing in and drowning them?
1: Yeah, because if she immediately opens her mouth, yeah, then it would just be a flood of water that could... I guess technically drown her, but it's a it's a rock formation.
0: Either way, she does manage to get Jotaro right in between her teeth. We see her slowly compress him until it's like just his arm sticking out, and then it's just the edge of his tank, and then it blows up when it when the teeth finally smash together, and that is when we get to the eye catch.
1: And the eye catch has the same stand stats as the previous episode. The stand stats of High Priestess, although this time the visual shows her seabed face. So stats, of course, remain unchanged, but we have a new image for High Priestess.
0: When we return to the episode, um, I just, I fucking love this part. I love this part. This actually might be my second favorite part behind Joltaro having to, you know, compliment a woman. (laughs) This is when you hear this fucking faint noise. As the Crusaders are panicking, they're like, holy shit, Joltaro, like, is he dead? What's going on here? Can we even save him? You just very, very faintly hear like this, this noise, right? Like not a rumbling, not anything that's like super recognizable. It's just like a noise and you don't even catch it at first until it gets a little bit louder. And I think one of the Crusaders says like, what is that noise? But when you're watching the episode again, I intentionally was listening for it to see like how quickly I could pick up on it. And it's super faint, but it gets... Louder and louder and louder until you realize that it's Star Platinum going <laughs> ora ora a million times super fast as it's pummeling through High Priestess's teeth.
1: Yeah, I wonder how Daisuke Ono did uh, recording this part. Like, <laughs> how That's much a of a- a lot of them. Yeah, a deep breath he had today. I, this, this almost rivals the seven-page muda from part five. In, yeah. Like, long, like, the length of- how much these stand cries of are being recorded? Um, but yeah, I think watching this the very first time and not realizing what the sound was until like it, it becomes very clear. It was so stupid, but <laughs> like it, it was—it's so JoJo, right? For so, like for something that's meant to be serious to out of context be so be so bizarre.
0: And you can tell Jotaro's had enough of this shit because after Star Platinum busts out of the the tooth, I guess, that Jotaro was smashed in, it then continues to go on a fucking rampage and breaks all of the teeth, which again makes you question how is there not a bunch of water flooding into High Priestess's mouth, but it is what it is. So at that point, they bust out of the stand because they're able to bust out all the teeth
1: doesn't joseph say something as they're watching uh jotaro do this because he's he's kind of like commenting on what jothro's doing i don't remember the exact line but i know he does this random like
0: Kah! you remember vaguely <laughs>
1: like just this really random sound from his mouth as he's saying like oh my god jo- uh, star
0: platinum's punching out this
1: he just inserts this really weird guttural sound
0: like a like a shee
1: a little bit, but it's... Like, like his version? <laughs> it's just like a... And I don't know exactly what that's supposed to represent. <laughs> I guess it's like just more shock at what Jotaro or Star Platinum is doing. But it, it's like one of those subtle moments of humor where it doesn't make sense, but it's like you just appreciate it again for being, for it being like a Jojo. Um, one thing I'll say with this is like Jotaro being the one to kind of defeat the group's final hurdle before Egypt feels kind of symbolic in a way because it's kind of signaling that he's the one in the group that is destined to end this century-long conflict with Dio and has this sheer will and resolve that's been passed down to every Joestar from generation to generation. Although I will say, you know, with typical jojo antagonist you'd think there'd be some like one-upsmanship here like a clever way for one of the crusaders to overcome their enemies abilities here it's just Star platinum just punching the teeth and like being strong enough for that uh, it's like there's no there's no cleverness to it um it's more so just it's kind of like the thing of how Star Platinum is able to defeat the world in the end. It's just sheer strength, right?
0: Yeah, and it's, it is is slightly disappointing because they started off by portraying High Priestess as this incredibly annoying and frustrating and difficult enemy stand that Star Platinum could barely keep up with and no one could really pin down to, like, destroy. And it was, like, so quick to change shape and disappear. It's almost like the stronger the stand is, the worse it is. Because it came very close to killing the the crusaders multiple times. Like, when it first attacked Joseph. Um, and then when it, when it went down Polnareff's throat and whatnot. Um, when it, like, cut Jotaro's hand. But once it became big... It's like it couldn't even do anything other than swallow them and just like mush them around in, in its mouth. So it's kind of an it's an interesting stand to see it str- like weaken the the bigger it gets.
1: Too big to fail, I guess.
0: Are you saying it, it can't fail?
1: Or <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> I think like that term's generally generally used for something that is destined to fail even if it's enormous in size. Oh, okay. So, I it, in a sense of irony. Maybe I'm using the term, <laughs> term <laughs> wrong, but whatever. Um, but yeah, Star Platinum was able to defeat High Priestess, which is fine because Jotaro said in the first half like something along the lines of like I'm the one who will who will be destined to kill you or whatever. Oh,
0: that's right. Okay, yeah, I kind of wish that he brought that full circle the same way he did in the Lovers arc when he like tossed the receipt at what's his face?
1: Steely Dan.
0: Yeah, like that made that revenge so delicious. Here it's like he says he's going to get revenge and then technically he does in the next episode, but in just such a lackluster way. Like he mm-hmm. he busts up all the teeth, but I kind of wish he had like a one-liner to like seal the deal, to like bring it full circle and close it out. Because I totally forgot that he said that in the previous episode.
1: Here are your just desserts.
0: That you can't eat (laughs) without your teeth. (laughs) Uh, Well, the line
1: was, I, Jotaro Kujo, will end you myself. Which is a very strong, threatening line. But yeah. Well, he did it. He did it, but in a way that doesn't feel deserving of that line, I guess.
0: The crusaders finally make it to the surface and they see that... Midler has passed out on the beach and of course polnruff is the one who's curious to see if she's cute goes to look at her and then turns around and says there's no point because her teeth are all busted <laughs> so she is a stand user that will never see i guess at any point i wonder
1: if there i know <laughs> yeah there's no picture of her face at all oh wait i see one image but
0: an anime image or a manga image
1: Or maybe this is fan art, actually. Never mind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) With the enemy stand user defeated, we are now playing, um, not catch up, but kind of wrapping up this first half. So first off, the Crusaders have finally made it to Egypt after 30 days. Kakyoin mentions they've been to a lot of places, including a dream. And then they're all like, wait, what the fuck? And he's like, oh, yeah, you wouldn't know about that.
1: I like that continuity.
0: That was great. That was really good. And then the OP starts playing as they walk away toward the mainland and the narrator chimes back in and recaps all of the enemy stand users that they've encountered and all the countries that they've been to leading up to Egypt. Then after that, we check in with Dio and see what the fuck he's up to. And apparently the Speedwagon Foundation has made their way to Egypt and they've been spying on him for quite some time. And I'm thinking, shit, the Speedwagon Foundation made it there faster than the Crusaders because the Speedwagon Foundation didn't get attacked by an enemy stand user every fucking day.
1: That's true. Although you would think Dio would, I I don't know if he'd be powerful enough because he was still getting accustomed to Jonathan's body, but that he would recognize that the Speedwagon Foundation was nearby.
0: He did because he attacked them and he killed that one guy.
1: I mean, he attacked them here, but like in the, like if Speedwagon Foundation, I guess I'm just assuming they've been in Egypt for a while waiting for the Crusaders to arrive.
0: Yeah, I don't know if there's actually a confirmation of how long they've been there or if they just arrived, right? Is there in the episode?
1: No, I guess not. But, you know, this Speedwagon employee is spying on this meeting. That Dio's having with nine people in a facility. I can't even spy what's going on in this scene because it feels like like once the Speedwagon employee is attacked by I forget who it is. Dio? Oh, it's Dio?
0: I thought it was Dio.
1: Oh, I thought it was.
0: Well, okay, the one is attacked by Indal's um like water. I think it's implied it's Indal's like water. Oh, claw stand episode. But then I think uh, Dio goes after the other guys.
1: Oh. Okay.
0: But you're right. I think what you're you can going can
1: barely see anything in this scene.
0: With the fucking censorship. Yeah. Yeah. It was heavy censorship. Like heavier than we've experienced in Stardust Crusaders. I couldn't tell what the fuck was going on. I figured heads were rolling, literally. because um, people's heads got chopped off and there's blood splurting out in like you could see it like on the sides of the censorship. So you can mm-hmm. you can assume what's happening, but I'm like, just just show it to us. Yes. Yeah, So
1: dumb. And I don't know if, like, I don't know, like, streaming services probably just use the episode as it had aired on TV, but I'm sure, like, the Blu-ray version has the uncensored one. Like, why can't they just, why can't they just use those?
0: I would love that, too, because the Blu-ray version has much cleaner scenes. There's that one Mm -hmm. website that I think we've talked about before that compares every scene that's different between the TV broadcast and the blu-rays of jojo through all the parts and some of that shit looks really nice in the blu-ray but whatever it is what it is we had censorship in this episode and it was annoying but i'm sure you can find the uncensored version somewhere online but at the end of this uh after he kills all of the speedwagon foundation employees dio says do you feel it jonathan your ancestors are coming and it's just creepy that he's like acknowledging still. I mean, he, he should be acknowledging that he's stolen Jonathan's body, but it's almost like he's like rubbing some salt in the wound by like saying like, "Oh, I can sense your ancestors because I've st- I've stolen your body, and there's nothing you can fucking do about it."
1: Dio was in Jonathan. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, what an ultimate revenge. And I can't believe, like, you know, remember John- Jonathan was so nice to Dio in his final moments. And yeah. Dio returns the favor by taking his fucking body. <laughs>
0: I mean, Dio's Dio's evil among evil, that's evil for sure. Evil
1: incarnate.
0: The next person we check in with is Susie Q, who is chatting with Joseph now that they've made it to the mainland. And he tells her that Jotaro is helping him um, with work. And that it's an important task because this is the first time Susie Q is talking to Joseph after their initial phone call in the last episode where um, he was like, everything's fine. But then she calls back and then Jotaro is like, uh, everything's fine. <laughs> but then there's sirens going off and she's obviously catching on that something is not fine. But either way, Joseph's telling her here it's all good um, and just kind of speaks very high level about what he's doing with Jotaro and says, if they both work together, um, they'll get it done. And so Susie Q is like, well, let me talk to Jotaro. I want to hear my grandson's voice. And she asks Jotaro to take care of Joseph. And if the Joestar says to him, if the Star men work together, they can get anything done. And it's nice because Jotaro gets all serious for a moment. And I I think he knows. I think Jolto is realizing that Susie Q is probably realizing that something's amiss here. Because he kind of like stops and like kind of says her name. But says it in a way that's a little bit like surprised almost. Would you say? Yeah. I mean
1: it's implied that she pretty much knows that something serious is going on. Uh, So she's not as much of an airhead as she was depicted back in season two. Plus, I'm sure like she knows enough about the, the Joestar's history now that they always get looped into pretty significant conflicts. Um, but I, I just appreciate her reassurance to Jotaro that she wholeheartedly believes in whatever hardship they're overcoming.
0: And I appreciate Jotaro being nice to his grandmother and <laughs> not telling her to shut the fuck up.
1: Because he acknowledges or he respects strength, right?
0: Yes, this is true. Susie
1: Suzy Q, I would say, is a pretty strong character.
0: And at the end of their phone call, she looks at a picture of Holly and Jotaro when he was a kid. And it's just always funny to see like...
1: When he wasn't raging. Yeah,
0: like (laughs) nice pictures of him. Like, is that even the same person? But speaking of Holly, we also get a a brief moment to check in with her. We see that she's still sick, but gives us a little smile as Suzy Q is talking about Jotaro and what the Joe Stars can accomplish. And then we jump back to the Crusaders um, right after the phone call with Susie Q. And um, yeah, they're just they're, they're having a feel good moment. Uh, holy shit. Jotaro smiles when Joseph mm-hmm. and him are talking about ending Dio and that they're not doing it alone because they've got the Crusaders with them. I'm like, that's nice. I forgot about that smile.
1: And yeah, what does he say? The, the ties to Dio that we've had for a century, we will bring it to an end.
0: You sure about that? I know, and and like Jotaro's sitting here thinking like, oh, we've had it for a century. I've only known about it for 30 days. (laughs)
1: Well, not only that, but I think part six makes it clear that it didn't bring it to a complete end. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's great to see grandfather and grandson actually getting along for a little bit.
0: The narrator closes things out by telling us about Egypt, um, a lot of fun facts, as, as as he has done with every country that they go to. We get the credits. And, of course, there's a post-credits scene, a little helicopter flight where we get a hint at a new character by seeing its eye. Yeah, it's Iggy. We're getting Iggy. We're finally going to have the full Crusader group.
1: I quickly looked of the air dates for this episode and the next episode Um, High Priestess Part 2 aired in Japan on September 13, 2014 and then episode 25 was January 10, 2015 so it was only a couple months um, before everyone got to see Iggy for the first time
0: pretty standard break between cores it sounds like
1: yeah Um, (laughs) For us, of course, it was kind of just jumping into one episode right after the other, so we didn't have to wait long, but it was a it was a nice teaser. Um, a couple of things with that last scene. I guess it's kind of appropriate that Egypt was chosen as the place um, for this last half of Stardust Crusaders to take place in, because uh, the narrator says, like you said, fun facts about Egypt, it's a blend of cultures and a rich land. Because you have Persian, Greek, Roman, Muslim, and Arabian cultures all mixed into this country. And it's kind of s- symbolic of like how the, the Stardust Crusaders are a mix of people f- from different backgrounds all coming together and uniting to fight this one common enemy. And then the last shot of the Crusaders in front of that off-roader just feels so 80s. I, I just love Oh that yeah. Shot. <laughs> <laughs> I know that... I think the more iconic shot in Stardust Crusaders is that of like the Polaroid photo of the group of them with Iggy. Uh, But I would love to get a a shot of this and like frame it somewhere, like put it in a room full of Jojo merchandise and memorabilia.
0: Yeah, I think that shot deserves more recognition, Um, but it it is a really good shot to kind of close out the episode And uh, I guess less exciting, though, less appealing to the eye is going to be the way Iggy is drawn in his introductory episode. He's fucking (laughs) ugly.
1: (laughs) But until then, that brings us to our final thoughts for part three, episode 24, High Priestess, part two. So do you feel like you really sunk your teeth into this episode?
0: I... I mean, yes, <laughs> to answer your question, I I like it a lot. I, I like the the high priestess arc. I, I've talked about that already. Um, I I still think that the way the enemy stand that was so incredibly um, powerful and difficult. The way it ended was, you know, very lackluster. But at least it was a great bit of comedy that we got to sit through. Um, and I think that the the more important part of this episode is clearly the latter half where we're just touching base with all of the major players in this story, finding out what the enemy is up to, um, and just getting a reminder that the Crusaders are on this really important journey to save Holly and that Jotaro and Joseph have a solid group with them. So I guess to use your term, it felt half like a very transitional episode. Um, And that's not a bad thing. I don't mind it. It's setting us up for a really exciting second half of Stardust Crusaders. But what did you think?
1: I thought it was a great climax slash transitional episode that doesn't let High Priestess overstay her welcome and just gives us some time to revel in how far the Crusaders have come. Although there is no real clever out for how the Crusaders were able to overcome their last barrier to Egyptian entry, since it's once again solved by Star Platinum's fists, it at least allows Jotaro to return to the spotlight and perhaps hints at how his battle with Dio may be simpler than we expect. But I mostly enjoyed the quieter moments in this episode from Susie Q giving her blessing to the Joestar duo, to the boys reaffirming their mission at the end of the episode, to even the shot of Dio, or the scene with Dio reminding us that his hot bod is still a looming threat. And I think these are moments that we need to experience right now before the brutal battles that lay ahead in the second half of Stardust Crusaders. But for now, like, we've flown, we've sailed, we've driven, and we finally crusaded our way into Egypt where the real shit's about to go down with Dio waiting in the shadows. And, man, I am ready for the fucking feels all over again.
0: So let's look back on the first half of Stardust Crusaders. What did you think? Like, what are just some some key thoughts that you've had. Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? What did you wish it had more of? What were you pleasantly surprised by? Anything come to mind?
1: That's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess I will quote Michael Scott from The Office as Caleb Crawdad and say, there has been a lot of murder and a lot of intrigue. My poor little heart can barely take it no more.
0: Well, there's going to be way more murder in the second <laughs> no, half. <right. laughs>
1: um, I think I mentioned this right at the beginning of our Stardust Crusaders review series is going from part two to part three was such a big jump in terms of like the the shift in tone of the story as well as the change in power system, right? Like it's, it's a significant jump from Hamon to Stan's but I think it was one that made Jojo all the more better. And I know like going from Joseph to Jothro too was like uh trying to do a 180. But he ended up being one of I think my, my favorite husbando in Jojo. <laughs> my favorite Jojo protagonist. So I have this part to thank for that. Uh but it's it was a great foundation for the journey that lies ahead and I think obviously it establishes the standard stand of the week formula that we'll see with subsequent Jojo parts, but it does it in a way that still feels pretty fresh from episode to episode, even if some of the enemy stands that the group faces can be a little lackluster, Um, and, and just the fact that it's really establishing the concept of Bros. that's also carried into subsequent parts. So even though part three isn't the first part of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, there are a lot of things established here that become mainstays for the rest of the series. Um, So seeing all of that kind of compounded to an exponential level in the second half um, is going to be very exciting. So... Again, it, it's great that the first half of Star Crus- Crusaders was so successful in laying that foundation so that we can really enjoy the battles that lay ahead. Um, what did you think about the first half, though?
0: It's it's a great first half. It's, um, I mean, we, we all know, right? Like, it's, it's a pretty common talking point in the JoJo community about Part 3 that the Enemy stand user of the week formula does get a little bit tiring at certain points, especially when, like you said, it's not a super exciting enemy stand that they're up against or just the battle's not exciting um, or just feels like there's an enemy for enemy's sake, but none of them ever feel like they aren't. At least memorable, or at least enjoyable to some degree, or feel like like they they never detract from Stardust Crusaders. They never cheapen it. They never leave you feeling frustrated or annoyed or bored. So at least it has it has that going right. Like every stand that they come across, every episode of the first half is still entertaining and is still very much JoJo at its core. And that's you know that that's fine. Like. It's a lot for Iraqi to have to to write and have to craft um, all of those stand users just in the first half that not every single one is going to be a banger. Not every single one is going to be, you know, a winning episode. That's totally fine. But as a whole, the first half is just a lot of fun. It's really cool to see the Crusaders travel across all of these countries, um, to learn about all of these countries, to see the way that they're portrayed in Jodo's Bizarre Adventure to see them take a variety of different, um, you know, travel methods, whether it's a boat or a plane that Joseph eventually crashes or a car like it's there's such a variety to what we get on this this journey to Egypt that at least keeps things fresh to a certain degree. You know, you're, you're never in one place too long or you're never in one mode of transportation too long. But with that said, I do think that the second half is going to give us the real meat and potatoes of what Stardust Crusaders has to offer. While the first half has, I would say, probably the bigger portion of iconic memes and and recognizable moments. The second half is what's crucial to the story. So I am very much looking forward to that. Um, and yeah, I I'm just I'm excited. I'm excited for the stands that are to come. They're gonna up the ante. They're bigger threats. Um, things are going to get way more intense and way more emotional as we get closer to reaching Dio, and I want to relive it. I'm ready for it.
1: Oh, man. I I can't wait, but also I dread hearing Last Train Home. Oh, CD that's CD, right. Fuck. I think that just perfectly symbolizes how I feel about the second half of Stardust Crusaders. I mean, it, it's, it's a very epic second half, but one that can just punches you in the feels with what unfolds but yeah i can't wait
0: and we hope you guys can't wait as well we're about to reach that point look forward to a discussion episode right in between and we'll be back with more jojo content subscribe as always to strictly jojo on your favorite podcast service join our discord to chat with us follow us on instagram at the strictly series on twitter at strictly series and check out our website the If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series. And tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.
1: To be continued.